Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. So today is that second Sunday after Trinity, the second Sunday in our season of Trinity Tide, when, as we've said, we focus on growth in virtue and growth in sanctification. So last week we discussed how love is the foundation for any virtue and really the foundation for all the virtues. And then based on our epistle reading from last week from 1 John chapter 4, we discussed how love is um, in God's very nature. As St. John wrote, God is love. And then we discussed how um, God's love for us flows out of that nature of love in himself. And then how in result of his love for us, we in turn love God and we in turn love our neighbor. We then discussed how a lack of love for our neighbor is at the root of the problems we have in our society, the problems we've always had in society, but especially those ones we talked about, their relationship to the current issues going on in our country today, and how a lack of love of our neighbor is a universal sin. We all fail to do this. So today's epistle then is from the preceding chapter in St. John's first epistle. So this is from St. John chapter 3, or 1 John 3, and it elaborates on the issue of love. In particular, today's epistle shows us how love of our neighbor requires action, not just feelings. So if, if love, love that does not manifest itself in good deeds towards our neighbor is not really love at all. So please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John 3, 13. And you can also find this on page 191 in your prayer book. John 3, 13, 1 John 3, 13, chapter 1, page 191. Like I said, I begin to hyperventilate for service. So. <laughs> These masks, right? Okay, St. John writes, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So that opening phrase, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you, that opening phrase may seem a little out of place in a discussion of our duty to love our brother. Contextually, this is a continuation of St. John's illustration earlier in the chapter where he's using the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis. So if you remember, this is found in Genesis chapter 4, if you remember Cain murdered his brother Abel out of jealousy because God accepted Abel's sacrifice of, uh, from his flock rather than Cain's sacrifice from his crops. St. John points out in the epistle that God's acceptance showed that Abel's deeds had been righteous while Cain's deeds had been wicked. So it wasn't about flock versus crops. It was about what's going on in their righteousness versus Abel's righteousness versus Cain's wickedness. And what this tells us is that we can't expect to come before God without dealing with our sin. We have to deal with our sin. 
As our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, this is in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Matthew 5, 21, our Lord says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, which was a first century term of contempt, it was an insult, a term of derision. So whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother have aught against thee, leave there thy, thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So St. John, in, in, the, in our epistle, is telling us that Cain's jealousy and hatred of, her brother, of his brother had tainted his sacrifice. Before Cain murdered his brother indeed, he had already murdered him in his heart. Well, in his sermon on today's epistle, St. Augustine reminds us that the world in the passage refers to those who love the world. That is, those who are unconverted, the unrepented, those who are following the world's system rather than following our Lord Jesus. So the world, in the sense that St. John is using here, will often hate Christians precisely because we do good. Without the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, without our spiritual eyes are blind, and our consciences are malformed. We've, we've talked about this before, this idea, the doctrine of illumination. The Holy Spirit enlightens us so that we can understand things spiritually. In short... Before we come to Christ, before the Holy Spirit gives us new life, in many ways we do not truly know right from wrong. Without new life and a new heart that only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ, our wills and our affections are broken, and we will often call good things evil and evil things good. This is why the world will often hate the Christian. St. John tells us then that we should not be surprised when our acts of Christian love are met by hatred from the world. Just as Cain hated his brother Abel and murdered him, just as our Lord was hated and murdered for his righteousness, so too we might be hated by the world. But nevertheless, we need to make sure that our, it is our love for God and love for our neighbor that is met with the world's hatred. Let's be sure we're being hated for the right reasons. Commenting on our epistle, Melville Scott, one of the Oxford fathers in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, he reminds us that love doesn't mean we're, we're being a jerk to, to, to non-Christians. <laughs> That's not love. This is what he writes. We must not marvel if the religion of love exposes us to the hatred of the world on account of our firmness of principle, the strictness of our conduct, and the faithfulness of our admonitions. In other words, doing the right thing, right? But let it be on this account and not on account of our inconsistency, negligence, the disagreeableness of our characters, 
our inconsiderateness or want of tact and wisdom. Hatred must not lessen our love, for the spirit which lusts to kill is the very opposite of the spirit of life. Love and life are one, and the only proof that we have passed into the region of life is that we have passed into the region of love. We're duty-bound to act in Christian love, even as we have been loved by Christ. Let's pick up on verse 16 in the epistle, John, 1 John 3, 16. Hereby, we, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. So as we discussed last week, our love for each other is rooted in God's love for us. Dr. Steve Brown, one of the uh, homiletics professors at Reformed Theological Seminary and one of my favorite radio preachers, gosh, for a good 25 years now, he's fond of saying that you can tell how much a person is loved by how much they love in return. Those who have been loved will love. We know God's love because our Lord died for our sins. So if you're a baptized Christian, you have been joined to Christ's death in that sacrament. Because he died for you, you are now dead to sin. And because he rose again from the dead, you have now been raised to new life in Christ. St. John tells us that Christ's sacrifice for us should lead us to be sacrificial in our love toward our brethren. As Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's John 15, 13. Love is essentially sacrificial. If love does not cost us, it's probably not really love. Take, for example, since this is Father's Day, the sacrifice required in loving our children. <clears throat> If you're a parent, you know that children are extremely expensive and time-consuming. <laughs> Mothers literally risk their lives and health to give birth. Many parents, and this was our experience last night, many parents don't get a good night's sleep for years <laughs> when the children are very young. <laughs> and when we have families, our time is not our own. Our goods are not our own. But as difficult as this is, it is quite literally a labor of love. We do this because we love our children. We don't always feel happy about it, right? We, we sometimes will complain or look longingly at the relative ease of life before children. You know, God forgive us for that, but it's true. <laughs> Nevertheless, fulfilling our duty towards our children is a manifestation of love, even when sometimes we don't feel like it is. Christian love works the same way. Of course, we're often deficient in our love. Sometimes we're less sacrificial than we ought to be. St. Augustine tells us that if we haven't loved to the point of laying down our lives, at least we can love to the point of generosity. 
And we just read from St. John, how can we say we have God's love shut up? How can we say we have God's love if we shut up the bowels of compassion on our brother who's in need? That phrase, bowels of compassion, speaks to the depth of Christian love. If you've got a more modern translation, such as the ESV, um, it will usually translate the phrase as closes the heart. And that's because in English, we talk about the heart as the seat of our emotions, typically, at least in the American idiom. I'm not sure about other dialects, but at least in the American idiom, we talk about the heart being the seat. You know, I love, from, I love you from the depths of my heart. My heart was broken, et cetera, et cetera, right? Love with the whole heart. But the Greek in the text is quite literally more visceral. It literally means guts or entrails. Don't shut up your guts against your brother. And then the King James adds, um, parenthetically, of compassion to clarify things, right? The idea here that St. John is trying to get across is that we know God's love has truly changed our hearts because compassion for our brethren wells up from deep within like a fountain or like a spring. Though our flesh is very oftentimes greedy and selfish, the Spirit of God makes us generous and gives us compassion that comes from a place that is deeper than our flesh. And we know that we love God and our neighbor when our actions reflect that love, when our outward deeds reflect the inward change. The idea that our outward deeds reflect the inward change, that's reminiscent of the teaching on good works that we find in article number 12 of the 39 Articles of Religion chapter. Uh, this is on page 605 in your prayer book, article number 12. There's a reason why this is one of our favorites to kind of go back to again and again in the parish. Article 12, albeit that good works, which are the fruits of faith, and follow after justification, cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's judgment, yet they are pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and do spring out necessarily of a true and lively, that means living, faith, insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree discerned by the fruit." Our good works are the fruit of our faith and the proof of a living faith, a faith that is alive. Our good works don't bring about the forgiveness or cleansing of our sins. We know this. That's not, that's not their purpose. But a sinner who has been forgiven and cleansed will manifest that forgiveness and cleansing by good works. It will happen. If it's not happening, there's a problem. This concept gets reinforced by the end of our epistle. Our epistle. Skip down to verse number 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So our obedience, our love, begins with belief in Christ, with faith in Christ. It continues on then with love for one another. When we're people of faith and love, we dwell in Christ, and Christ dwells in us. The proof of that indwelling is the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
St. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which means patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which means self-control. So in other words, we know we are in God because we live godly lives. That's how we know. That's the fruit. That's the proof. Because we live lives that show love for God and love for each other. So last week, the challenge was to use the, the current difficult times in our nation, our communities, as an opportunity to allow God's word to shine the light of truth into our hearts as to where we've allowed sin, lack of love, or even hatred to sneak in. This week, the challenge is to go out and act out God's love. To go out and show God's love by, by loving your neighbor in those tangible ways. And we know that this kind of effort is from God and blessed by God, even if we don't always feel that love. We prayed in our collect. In our collect, we addressed God as the one who never failest to help and govern those whom thou dost bring up in thy steadfast fear and love. When we go out to practice love, God helps us to do so. And he guides us in doing so, regardless of what our feelings are like. So the challenge this week is let's go and practice God's love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.